Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the Bickersons. The Bickersons have retired. As usual, Mrs. Bickerson tosses restlessly while her husband, John, insomniac extraordinary, provides this audible testimony of his constant wakefulness. Let's listen. Oh, for the love of heaven, what is he doing? John! 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 What's the matter with you? Hmm? You are making the most frightful noises. What's the matter? What's the matter, Blanche? Are you in pain? I've got a terrible headache. Haven't slept a wink. You've been sleeping like a felled ox. Head aches. You wouldn't have such a headache if you didn't make so many cocktails before dinner. Why do you do that, John? Always do it. Why? No good to eat on an empty stomach. Put out the lights, Blanche. The lights are out. How would you know anyway with that sleep shade on? Well, something's flashing in my head. Ow! Take an aspirin. Okay. Hmm, feel better already. How can you chew those things like that? Wash it down with something. All right. <sighs> John Bickerson, you washed it down with bourbon. You lied to me. You got the lights on. Yes, I'm going to keep them on. Sit up. I want to talk to you. Please, Blanche, I can't sit up. My head will fall off. Why do you always have to talk in the middle of the night? When else can I talk to you? You come home for dinner and bury your head in the paper. Never a word out of you. And you tell me you've got to go to bed early because you have insomnia. Well, I have. It takes me hours to fall asleep. It took you all of 30 seconds tonight. Well, this was a good night. Good night. John. John. I went over to see the Marvin's new baby this afternoon. It's a beautiful child. Do you know their first one is over a year old? I hope so. He's been walking since he was eight months. He must be awful tired. I am too. Children are such a blessing. Mm. It's wonderful to watch them grow up. You'd be surprised how many childless couples are adopting children. I'd better have another aspirin. Boy, have I got a headache. Mm. John? Hmm? Don't you miss the patter of tiny feet around the house? No, I don't, Blanche. Children are wonderful, all right, but you have to be able to afford them. All this talk of adopting. What the devil is that? 
What's what? That. Put the lights on. John. Blanche, don't tell me that you went out and... It's and only a dog, silly. A dog? What do we need dogs for? I got for? a little puppy. Where's the aspirin? What did you get a dog for? Now don't get hysterical. Where is the little beast? I can hear it, but I can't see it. He's right there, in the bureau. I've got him in your shirt drawer. You put him in there with my shirts? He won't suffocate. The drawer's open. Blanche, you know I'm allergic to dog hair. It gives me sinus trouble. Where's the aspirin? You are just a big hypochondriac. You imagine those allergies like you do your insomnia. I tell you, I'm allergic to dogs. They make me... make me... Get rid of that thing. He'll whine all night and keep me awake. The man said he'll keep quiet if you give him one of those worm pills. Well, where are they? On the night table by your bed. How do you give a dog... Where... They're on the night table by your bed. There's nothing here except the aspirins. The aspirins are in the medicine cabinet. How can they be in the... Blanche, what have I been eating? No wonder my headache won't go away. Why do you do these things to me? Send for a doctor. Don't carry on so. If they're good for a dog, they won't hurt you. Go to sleep. Go to sleep, she tells me. Here I am dying from dog poisoning. My, my head is splitting. She knows I'm allergic to dogs, hides the aspirin, and makes... I don't know. Get up so early, never get another wink of sleep as as long as... John? John? Hmm? Gesundheit. Thanks. I can see how much sleep I'm going to get tonight. We'll have to get rid of the puppy. Now you're talking. I want you to take him down to the dog pound. Okay, I'll do it on my way to work. You go in the opposite direction. Well, I'll go out of my way. You say it, but you won't do it. You better take him now. What? Go on, get up, take the puppy to the dog pound. Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's after two in the morning. They're open all night. Go on, get up and take him. Well, I've never heard of such a thing. You know I went to bed with a splitting headache and had to take a dozen worm pills to fall asleep. You'd take the dog to the pound quick enough if Gloria Gooseby asked you to. How do you always manage to work the conversation around a Gloria Gooseby? Well, if you wouldn't shout so much, maybe the puppy would be able to sleep. Ah, what's the use? Good night. I thought it would be nice to have a little dog, especially when we move into our new apartment. Still have a year to go on this one. Our lease expired on Friday. I renewed it yesterday. I canceled it this morning. Amos is raffling off the apartment for me. That's a good idea. Amos is what? Amos sold 500 tickets at $2 a piece, and the winner moves into our apartment tomorrow. Oh, Blanche, no. I... I don't believe it. We'll be on the street. Amos said he'll find us a new place in a jiffy. Jiffy? Haven't you heard there's a housing shortage? Where would he find a place? Well, I bought a ticket myself. It's a wonderful chance. Lovely three-room apartment, large kitchen, big closets. It's worth $2, and we might get it. Get it? We've got it now. I know. But even if we didn't win, we get the $1,000 Amos collected for the rest of the tickets. Look, Blanche, I gave the landlord a $1,200 bonus to renew the lease. So now I'm out $200 and I've got no place to live. Sounds like pretty poor business to me. Why do you make such deals? Now look, Blanche... The trouble with you, John, is that you are too conservative. Look, Blanche... If you'd pick up some of the deals that Amos has, we might be able to live as nicely as he does. Blanche... He's been living at the Biltmore Hotel for a year. He sleeps on a billiard table. Look out. Where, where's my slippers? What are you going to do? Let me get to that phone. I'll show... Ow! Ooh! Ooh! Put on the lights. The lights are on. Open your eyes. Oh. Here's, here's the phone. 
I know it's going to ring, and I want to be ready when it does. Hello? Excuse me. Drop dead. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That wasn't Amos. I'll get it, I'll get it. Amos! Hi, Jacko! What are you doing up this time of night? Packing, Amos. We're moving, haven't you heard? Why aren't you going to invite me in? I'd like to look the place over. You mean... Yep, I won the raffle. Darndest luck I ever saw. Who drew the ticket, Amos? Fair and square. I wouldn't take a chance having some phony draw it, so I drew it myself. What a coincidence. Get out of here. What's the matter with you, Jacko? You got a thousand dollars coming, and if you're worried about a place to live, I'll rent you the garage. You haven't got a car anymore, you know. Get out of here before I hit you with a cleaver. Okay, Jacko. You don't have to get sore. You better give the money back to people you sold tickets to, or you'll have a lot of explaining to do. Not me, brother. You'll have to do the explaining. I'll tell them you won. Good night, Jacko. That guy will wind up on a chain gang as sure as... Was it Amos who won? I did. Now at last I can go to sleep in my own bed without worrying. No, you can't, dear. The dog's in there. But, oh, nuts. I'll sleep in the garage. Good night, John. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Show Oh yeah Hey, welcome back everybody this is the tom sumner program and my guest this hour has been on the show before talking about his new york times best-selling series the school for good and evil and uh, there is a new book kind of an origin story coming out uh, that is uh, planned for a uh, major motion picture uh, on netflix called simply rise of the school for good and evil by Soman Chinani, and he joins me by phone. Soman, welcome back. It's good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me. Um, how was it determined that you would write a new book to base the film on, as opposed to pulling scripts from the books you've already written? Well, the the movie's based on book one. You know, it comes out from Netflix this September. Uh, and there's six books in the School for Good and Evil series. I started writing them in 2013, and that's when the first book was published. Um, so the movie that comes out from Netflix uh, that'll be out in September is just the first book. Um, but there were all these questions during the kind of making of it about the, the schoolmasters who run the school. It's run by two twin brothers, one good, one evil. Um, and there were these questions of where they came from. You know, the, the, the writers and producers and director wanted this sort of backstory. Um, and so it was always in my head, and I always knew the story, and I thought, you know, maybe now's the time to write it down. Um, and so I decided to write that kind of rise of the school story of how the school came to be and what the, the, the twin schoolmasters were like. And at the same time, I loved the idea that, 
you know, the, the school for good evil is known for these powerful female relationships. And I thought, I thought it was a, an interesting opportunity to do uh, a, a, a book that was centered more around a relationship between two males, the two brothers, um, and experiment with a different style of writing and all of that. So, um, that's really where everything began. It was this attempt to kind of, uh, tell, tell a new story in the world of school for good evil that would fill in, you know, holes in the movie. Um, where, you know, the creators and, and producers and things needed knowledge. Um, and ultimately, I think what has happened is the books uh, came out about uh, a week ago and has been kind of this, um, you know, instant hit with boys, uh, which is different than the School for Good Evil series, which predominantly had a female audience. So the, so the film is based on the, the first of the six books in the series, um, but... This book was written to fill in some of the some of the gaps and some of the backstory that exactly and and so that information is being used um, in in crafting the film. Yes, exactly. Like even the, the beginning of the movie, the the opening of the movie takes um, you know from this this latest uh, book in mythology. And this this new book, um, Rise of the School for Good and Evil, is a uh, is a standalone book. Were all of the others standalones, or was it best to read the series sequentially? I mean, I think it's better to read the series sequentially um, because it's created in this kind of like deeper arc, you know, um, of all the characters and things like that. So for me, it's better to start at book one and go all the way through book six. But at any point in time, if you're curious about the Schoolmasters, Rise works as a standalone. But there's also going to be a second book to the, the Rise kind of duology that comes out next year. So you'll have these two prequels, um, and then you'll have the six books in the series. So there'll be a total of kind of eight volumes uh, to the School for Good Evil series. And you could read the, those two prequels whenever you want, but uh, one through six should be read in order. Solman, with the um, writing the prequels, had had you really sort of ended and resolved the series um, to a point where you would not have wanted to extend stories beyond book six, and that's why you go back and and do a couple uh, prequels? I think for me it's that one through six, were was a complete story you know when i finished six there's no there's no possibility for a seventh because six is the end but you know i wanted to to still play in that world um and look for where there was opportunity for stories you know that that would be as compelling as those first six books and and the two schoolmasters uh teenage schoolmasters who are who are these immortal brothers um who can hold on to their immortality and their invisible sorcerer powers as long as neither kills the other, because one is good and one is evil, and each wants to rule the school entirely for themselves. But the the deal they make with, um, you know, sort of the power that rules the world is they can have these these eternal lives and infinite powers as long as they don't um, attack the other. So, you know, I just thought that was a cool story to tell. What would end up happening if that was the deal? You know. More with New York Times best-selling author Soman Chinani straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with New York Times best-selling author Soman Chinani straight ahead. When you have, um, when you create a world of your own with these characters um, in that world, how important is the origin story? You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be told. I think a lot of times it can be quite boring. Um, when people do origin stories or prequels, you know, it, they usually are not necessary. In this case, it's an interesting tale because the brothers have their own complete saga. And I love the tension of it. That you have these two brothers, one pure good, one pure evil, on opposite sides of the spectrum, both trying to, to claim the school for themselves. So if it was up to either, either of them, it would be a school for good or a school for evil, not the school for good and evil. Um, but they can't because the moment one kills the other or tries to take the school for themselves, they lose all their powers, you know, and they, they immediately die because they've been alive for a couple hundred years, you know. Um, so it's this kind of question of uh, how, you know, can, can sort of a bond of blood Trump uh, ambition for power. And I thought it was just a cool story to tell. You know, it almost feels like separate from the School for Good and Evil universe, and it works on its own, which, um, you know, so far, so many readers who picked it up over the last week um, aren't readers of the series, you know? So they're going to they're gonna have uh, a reading experience that's completely independent. How far along is the, uh, the Netflix film project? Oh, it comes out in September. They just released the trailer yesterday. Um, uh, Netflix sort of did a big School for Good Evil Day yesterday uh, with all kinds of reveals. They revealed the poster, so it's um, it's coming pretty fast. Well, the reason I asked is I just wondered what it's like for you to see your story unfolding on screen. I'm sure you've seen, um, if not... Uh, the entire film. Oh, no, I've seen, yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's an, it's an amazing, it's an amazing experience because you don't ever go into writing something with that need or desire necessarily. You know, you're, you're focused on the work. Um, and I think that's the important thing to me is, you know, being focused on the work and, and doing the best possible job and not worrying so much about, you know, it's life outside of the pages. Um, but I think when when something like this happens, it's this opportunity for the story to have a wider dissemination. Um, so I think of it more as an amazing trailer or commercial for the books, you know? To what degree, Soman, when you're writing these stories, are you visualizing the scenes and the characters that you're crafting on the page and and how does this this film version compare to the way you saw the story unfold on the pages oh yeah i mean visualization is how me and i i'm assuming a majority of writers kind of write is to see it and then try to document it you know but there's no way that a film can capture the nuances of an imagination whether it's mine or anyone else's it's just impossible um the imagination is just so much more creative and and dexterous and intelligent. Um, 
than reality in a lot of ways. So it's almost, you know, your imagination almost pictures things as a dream with infinite resources. So um, you can get glimpses of it. A movie can give you sort of pieces of it. Um, it can give you kind of these moments of deja vu where you're like, whoa, that's exactly how I imagined it. But uh, there's no way a movie can sustain that all the way through. But a movie also comes with um, so many surprises and and opportunities to uh, take the story in a in new directions, you know. So I think to me, like watching it was this surreal experience of, you know, having those familiar moments and and those familiar uh, sort of instincts of like, oh wow, that's exactly how I pictured it, and also being surprised by my own world. And Soman, you play the role of executive producer in this uh, Netflix production. Um, what what does that mean for you? What is that uh, a new role for you? And and how does that what what does an executive producer do? You know, it's it's more about being there to make sure it doesn't go off the rails. That you know, it's a valuable kind of piece of property now in the, in the intellectual property space. Cause you know, these books have been global and successful and things like that. And so you just want to make sure that the movie honors them and is not going to lead to like, you know, a witch hunt from fans um, of the series. Cause you know, the fan base is quite rabid and quite global. So that's my job as executive producer is just to, to come in and be like, okay, is there anything I've seen that can compromise the potential success of the movie? Um, and to kind of be guardrails um, to what what the depiction of the world is, you know? Um, mainly there's a cheerleader and, and to answer questions and to make sure that in the end everyone is happy with what, with what the final product is, and most importantly that I know the fans will be happy, you know? Um, is, is the film franchise likely to serialize? I mean, it depends how it does. Uh, I would like it to, but it just depends how it does for, for Netflix, you know? So sure. it's going to be one of these, you know, if it, if it does well, then we go on to book two <laughs> and we march <laughs> on from there. Um, now, going on to book two, um, you said there's a second, uh, a second prequel that will come out sometime yeah, next year. Yeah, that'll come out yeah, next year. But do you have... Um, Another series in mind um, once once that book is complete? Possibly. I mean, I definitely, you know, had some thoughts in mind and things like that. But to me, this year was about, you know, finishing that second prequel, getting through the whole the movie experience, and hopefully by the end of the year, kind of moving on from School for the Evil, you know, because it will have been 10 years, um, you know, uh, next year. So... Uh, I felt like ten years is a is a good time to spend in in a world, and so my my hope is that by next year I'll be on to a new one. During this last ten years, Soman, how much time did you spend in this world? Oh, I mean, infinite, because these um, books were very long. You know, each one was about seven hundred pages, so it was um, it was intense from the beginning. You know, I, I had to deliver a seven hundred page book every year. Uh, so that's, that was really my life for, um, those eight years. And then the last two years of writing prequels and, and doing some other stuff have been 
you know, more focused on making sure that, that the movie ends up the right way, you know, so a lot more time has been spent in kind of movie land, but I'm looking forward to a time where I can get back to just focusing on looks. You travel around the world and talk to uh, children, school groups, and so on. Um, what is it that you want the books to share with them, and what do you get back from them and in their reactions? Do they see things maybe that you didn't in the books? 100%. I mean, I think the coolest part um, about writing for youth is that they're just so enthusiastic and so intelligent and creative in their responses to you. I think when you write for adults, you can get a lot, I don't know, you can get a lot more stodginess in response, you know, and sort of mm-hmm. the expected things. But kids are so creative the way they respond to you and art and playlists and, you know, fake merch that they make and fan fiction. And you know, they just make so much amazing stuff. And so, it's a, it's to me the the coolest thing in the world to to see kids kind of come alive creatively um, because they've responded to something in your work, you know. And um, I think for me that I think is the cool part about the movie too is being able to to see kids who then watch the movie for the first time think to themselves, well, what is this world? How do I learn more? And then they go to the books. When you first started the uh, the good and evil. Um, school and and the series did you was there a story in mind first or the characters um it's hard to tell I feel like usually I have a story I have a a general idea of a story you know like a like a, a tale I want to tell and then the characters come, but sometimes it's all together. It's hard to, there's no kind of magic recipe for it. Um, it's all, it all has this kind of like strangely enchanted feel to it that you can't really, you know, dissect. Um, it just kind of has it its own flow. Well, I'm always curious about the creative process, Soman, and, and where, um, where ideas come from if you come up with an idea for a story and then cast it like a movie or if you have these characters in mind and then come up with what kinds of things might happen to them but how do you um, craft your your characters and the ideas for stories are they inspired by other things that you've read or seen where where does where do the ideas come from you know, I think that's kind of the, the coolest mystery of life in the same way that, you know, when you go to sleep every night, you don't know what your dream's going to be. To me, that is when you're really channeling and, and in, in the sort of like deepest part of your creativity, it's the same thing. There's no, there's no way to understand it. You know, there's no way to predict what your dream's going to be. Just like you, there's no way to predict what your story's going to be. Um, it's, all, it's all kind of this unknown process. And so to me, the only way you can sort of regulate your creativity is to sit down and and create the time to do it. And the rest has to happen on its own. And you can also sort of feed your imagination with all kinds of experiences and, and other art and things like that, and give yourself the maximum amount of data and influences uh, for your brain to pull from. But at the same time, you have to be careful not to fill it with too much stuff because then you know, 
there can be an overload. So I think my job is to manage um, the creative process, but not to not to consciously drive it, if that makes any sense. When you're um, when you're writing, um, does it is it based on on a an outline of some sort, or or does it flow in a way that seems almost as if the characters are telling you the story? Um, more the latter. I think you know I have a general idea of where it's going, but there's no outline. There's no complicated plot structure that I've plotted out ahead of time. Um, for me, it's all about just knowing my characters and knowing kind of the, the feeling of the story I want to tell. And then I just sort of chased the rabbit on the whole. Um, and I think that's where I found the most joy in it because I don't know what's going to happen. And I just trust the process and it's an act of faith in a lot of ways. Um, but everybody has a different style. Some people are, are complete plotters and like to figure everything out ahead of time. You know, I think it, it sort of creates, um, less stress to do it that way. And, and you know, ahead of time, it's going to work out. I always feel like if you work everything out ahead of time, the reader can work everything out ahead of time too. Um, because it's done from a cerebral place and the, the readers can all see where you're going. Um, so for me, I have to discover it in a moment. So man, over the course of this last 10 years and the, the evolution of the series, You've created a lot of characters. Were you ever concerned that there were maybe too many characters, and was it ever difficult to keep them all straight? Oh, yeah. There was 150 characters in the School for Evil World. It was like <laughs> writing Game of Thrones. Um, but I think, I think that I was able to really feel like I was in the world with them, so I knew who all of them were. You know, they never they never felt this time where where it felt like I was just sort of like moving stock characters around. You know, it wasn't like just moving pieces on the chessboard. There was always a, a deeper purpose to each one, and I never felt the need that every single character had to have, you know, the clearest possible arc. And we had because then you end up with one of these Marvel movies where you just keep bouncing between characters. I wanted there to be a strong point of view in the main characters, and and the rest of them served their journey. You know, so that to me. I mean, a lot of people keep them straight. I mean, there were certainly moments where where you were like, oh, who is this person again? And then you have to remind yourself, you know, why they're there and, and how they're related to everyone and things like that. But those were rare. What is the, the takeaway from these books for readers, especially uh, the young readers? I think it's just the idea that all their sort of what they're taught about good and evil, young and old, boy and girl, you know, um, is never really quite all that it seems. That we've grown up learning about these dualities and polarities, and ultimately all of those will break down. And so to have everyone really question identity and question labels and and imagine a world where not everything is, is given a word or a term or a label, then all of a sudden we're all much more complex than we seem. You know, so I think that to me is the important part because too often we teach kids, okay, there's good, there's evil, and the good guy always wins, and you're good. Which means like anytime a kid disagrees with someone or 
or finds themselves on the opposite side of something, they are going to assume the other person is the villain and evil and must be destroyed. And I think that infects our politics. That that infects our way of talking to each other. It's why I think this country, you know, has sort of slid down into this kind of deep polarization. Is because we teach kids growing up that, you know, in life there's two sides, and and everyone thinks they're on the good side. So as long as everyone thinks they're on the good side, you know, everybody against them has to has to um, be destroyed. You started out, Soman, studying film and wanting to be a director. How did you end up writing children's fiction? Mm, I never thought of it that way. I thought of I thought of School for Good and Evil as sort of the ultimate fairy tale, and so I never thought of it as a kids' book when I was writing it. I was trying to be as as kind of like all audiences possible, in the same way that you write a Grimm's tale, and you don't. I'm sure they didn't think of those as children's tales either. I think ultimately it was. Um, it was put in that, like, shel- you know, shelved in that section. But my hope is that as people read it, they realize that it's a book for all ages, and it's not, it's not for kids. It, you know, ultimately, of course, kids are going to be the, the most vocal and loudest in responding to it. But over the years, we've seen, like, I just got back from a crazy tour, um, you know, did seven cities in seven days, and everywhere we went, you know, there was a very, very healthy number of adult readers, uh, adult fans of the books. And to me, that that's the sign of a, the ultimate fairy tale, equal number of kids and adults. The, um, you know, as uh, I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Uh, Soma, do you have a website you'd like to share? Oh, sure. The best way to get information on me is on Instagram at SomaNC. But then our website is evernever.com. And that is like sort of the home of, of the Evers and Nevers who go to the School for Good and Evil. You know, so Evernever is sort of the, the home of Evernever World, as I call it, which is this larger School for Good and Evil universe um, that you can check out and home to all my other um, works outside of the school for good evil. So evernever.com is probably the best place to go. I'm also on, you know, every other platform, whether it's Twitter, Soman Chinani, um, Instagram's the best one at Soman C, um, YouTube, uh, evernever TV. And, uh, I'm also on TikTok. Soman, as you contemplate, um, a a possible new direction or a new series to go in would it also be fantasy fiction or would you try something very different possibly i mean i think for me like you know 10 years of life in in one world that's about fairy tales means that whatever i do next will not be fairy tale based um that i'll go in a in a new direction because otherwise you know, life is short. I want to, I want to try new things. Um, so, but you know, I think everything I write will always have like a a hint of magic or, or, um, fantasy to it. Cause that's what, that's just who I am. You know, that's where I I think my creativity goes. So there'll always be kind of a, a hint of magic to the world. Well, Soman, thanks so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. And uh, best of luck with the book and, of course, with the uh, with the movie. I can't wait to see it. Thank you so much. All right. Keep up the good work. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.
That was uh, Soman Chainani. He is the author of the New York Times best-selling series, uh, The School for Good and Evil. And uh, he has a new book coming out called The uh, Rise of the School for Good and Evil. And also... uh, the uh, original book, the first book in the series, is coming out in a uh, major motion picture for Netflix. And the way you know it's a major motion picture is because it's starring Charlize Theron. And um, with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <laughs> Y'all Summer program.com. Hey, 
This is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital. Go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov slash AG for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Where are we going, Dr. Zarkov? Aaron and I discovered a room under the hall of atomic power, which stored scientific apparatus. With the help of slaves, we constructed my newest invention, didn't we, Baron? Yes, we did, friend Zarkov. I only hope this bull-headed monarch hasn't delayed us too long with his arguing. There isn't much time left to save the city. We are tipping over. How much further do we have to descend? We will be below the foundation in just a moment. What is this remarkable discovery, Wizard of the Earth? You shall see. You shall see. We are here. Hurry out, everyone. Hold fast to my hand, Dale. Oh, Flash, do you think Dr. Zarkov will be able to save us? I know he will do his best. There is my invention. What is that massive tubes and wires? This electrical machine is an atomic light solidifier. It'll strengthen the beam? Yes. Keep everybody back, Baron. I must have room to work. Stand back, everybody. Baron, do you think this machine will work? Be quiet. Professor Zarkov is throwing the switch. What is that weird bluish light? New rays made from the Adamsdale. Why, the city seems to be getting back on an even keel. By power, so it is. How is it working, friend Zarkov? Splendid so far. The light beams supporting the city are becoming stronger and stronger. Then the city is saved? The city is saved. By power, he has done it. All of you are free. Why, Dale, you're crying. I'm so happy we're saved. Zarkov, come here. He said he could do it, and he did. Yes, King Voltan, you summoned me? Zarkov, you shall be my head scientist. Voltan, this is more than I expect. I am grateful, deeply grateful, and appreciate the honor. Flash and Dale. Yes, impressive majesty. What is it, King Voltan? As proof of our future friendship, I shall give you a royal wedding tomorrow, and tonight we shall have a banquet to celebrate it. Are you having a good time, Dale? A wonderful time, Flash. It hardly seems possible that we shall be married tomorrow. I don't dare believe it until we are actually being married. Now, you mustn't feel that way, Dale. It's just nerve. Well, my friends, tomorrow will be the big day. I'm not so sure. Dale is just worrying about nothing, Baron. Hmm, it's almost tomorrow, Dale. What can happen now? During the excitement of the certain destruction of the city, the Princess Aura disappeared. Oh, is that all that worries you? I should think you would be glad she is not here. I am. Well, well, lovebirds, are you enjoying yourselves? Oh, yes, thank you, impressive majesty. Majesty? Majesty? Yes, what is it? The airship of Ming the Merciless is approaching the city. This means trouble. What did I tell you? There will be no wedding for us tomorrow. We will die fighting! No, Voltan. Let us take our chances on escaping. Give us a rocket ship. It's no use, Flash. They were damaged when the city tilted.
His Universal Majesty, Emperor of Mongo, Ming the Merciless. And Princess Aura. Now there will be trouble. Steady, Dale, darling. There will be a way out of this. Greetings and welcome, Emperor Ming. So, Voltan, you have become friends with the prisoners. Turn over this Earthman to my torturers. And to me, delivered my promised bride, Dale Arden. I command it. No, father. You promised Flash Gordon to me as my share of the spoils. Hold, Ming. By the ancient laws of Mongo, by the sacred laws of the great Pau, who is all wise, I call for a tournament of death. A tournament? And this fellow Flash Gordon would enter? Yes. A tournament. Then all the planet would see him fail and die. So be it. Between four mountains nestled a massive bowl-shaped arena toward which most of Mongo pulls the never-ending streams to the tournament of death in which all of the contestants but one will meet death. And Flash Gordon is going to enter. He and Dale occupy seats of honor in Volton's box. Princess Aura enters the arena on a golden throne carried by six blue dragon men. Here comes Aura in all her glory. She is vile, treacherous, and cruel. <laughs> that, my boy, is a beauty. Oh, I don't know about that. Here comes Drewbridge, king of the lion men. The dragon men are frightened by the lions. They've dropped the princess. Ah, stay where you are, my boy. Prince Baron is already picking her up. She seems to be smiling at him. I wonder what she's saying. Prince Baron, you've saved my life. Why did you do it after the way I treated you? Because, my princess, you are a woman, a beautiful woman, and I can no longer deny the fact that I love you. But whatever it is she's saying, I wish she would get interested in somebody else and leave you alone, Flash. The tournament is about to begin, Flash. There is your horse. Here, take this sword, my boy. It's the one with which I became King of the Hawkmen. Take it and justify my faith in you. And my faith, too. Thanks, darling. And thank you, Volton. I will do my best. In another box, Prince Baron reaches a decision. Zarkov, I am going to enter the tournament and win back my kingdom and Ming's daughter, Princess Aura, for my bride. Do not be a fool, Prince Baron. Why do you risk being killed? Wish me luck, my friend. I go to do battle. It is a battle royale with every horseman for himself. As the battle rages around him, Flash is beset by two yellow guardsmen. He vanquishes one, and as he is attacked by the other, he falls from his horse. Before the yellow man can drive home a death thrust, a masked rider saves Flash, and the first great test of the Tournament of Death ends. A banquet is held for the survivors. Are you sure you're all right, Flash? Why, of course, Dale. If it hadn't been for that masked fighter, you would be dead now. Oh, why did you enter this horrible tournament? To win freedom, a kingdom, and what's more important, you. Look, the masked fighter is with Princess Aura. Ah, the masked champion. Are you a criminal fearing arrest or a noble fearing recognition? Blue blood or red, my lady, it will flow in the arena just as freely 
for your amusement. Here, wear the scarf as a token, but do not stain it with your blood. Fair lady, a kiss from your gorgeous lips, and I would face the legions of Pau. Insolent one! <laughs> I would have you tortured. You cannot punish the living dead of the tournament. Goodbye, you beautiful devil. I go to fight for your hand. That masked champion, I swear I know his voice. The call has sounded. I must go back to the fight. Goodbye, Dale. Goodbye, and good luck, my darling. Oh, King Voltan, when will this awful tournament end? I know it seems horrible to you, little bird, but it is better that Flash should die honorably in the field of battle than at the hands of Ming's torturers. If he wins this final event, he will be a king, and you will be his queen. The trumpets blow and the last contestants line up. Two by two, they mount the sky rope stretched over a flaming pool to joust with swords, and one after another, they are eliminated by death. Finally, only Flash Gordon and the masked champion are left. Flash loses his balance and falls down toward the flaming pool, but his hand catches hold of the rope and he hangs on. The masked champion, thrown off balance, all but falls but saves himself by grasping Flash Gordon's legs. His mask falls off, revealing Prince Baron. The crowd demands that both men shall live, and they are brought before Vulton and Ming the Merciless. None of your trickery, Ming. You will proclaim them both kings. So be it. But I shall choose their kingdoms. To Prince Baron and my daughter, Aura, I give the kingdom of the forest. To Flash Gordon and the Earth Girl, I give the kingdom of the caves. You fiend! You know neither kingdom has been conquered. True, Voltan. But these are brave men. Let them try. They can hold their weddings in their own kingdoms. If they live that long. This concludes our recreation of the first four episodes of the 1935 radio serial Flash Gordon. This series was recorded in the Tom Sumner Program studio featuring the voice of Sean Cantwell as Flash Gordon and Volton. Rhonda Groves Young played Dale Arden and Princess Aura. Randy Zimmerman played Zarkoff and Thun. Prince Baron was played by Dane Walling. Listen for more adaptations of old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Tom Sumner saying thanks for listening. Hey, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. <clears throat> and there's Smokin' George tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room for the weekend. But I'll be back Monday with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. I want to say thanks to all my guests on the show today. Starting with this last hour spent with Soman Chinani, uh, author of Rise of the School for good and evil soon to be a uh, major motion picture on netflix coming out this fall and uh, before that we talked with the uh, daughter of america's first master spy in the middle east charlotte dennett sumner program is a live variety show we want good night to everybody all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.